Amen. Amen. For God so loved the world. Let's have John 3.16 up on the screen. And uh, I just want us to read it together. So uh, let's read it out together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. I think you could write a whole book in chapters and essays and commentaries on that one line, God so loved the world. And uh, I've been reading about that, and I just, as I was preparing for this morning, I think that aspect of God's love just really got to my heart. God didn't just like the world. He didn't just push a like button. He loved the world. He loved it so much. Uh, Jesus came to earth because he loved every single person on the face of the planet. That, that line in itself is kind of, it's actually hard to get your head around, that every single consonant, Every single language group, every single family, yes, even your family, every single person, every, every person that's a human, he loved them. And he didn't just love them because they looked clean and polished and well presented. He loved them while they were enemies. He loved them while they were in the state they were in. He loved us in the state we were in. He came and he loved us. So I had this phrase in my heart, God is love. Christmas, if you take out the Christ, you have no Christ. If you take out the Christ, you have no love. And so this morning as we read this, I hope our hearts are just encouraged a little bit. The first point is God is love. And I'm going to read this morning from, if you've got a Bible uh, on your phone or an actual Bible, turn to 1 John. And we're going to read from 1 John chapter 4. And verse 7 to verse 12. It says, Dear friends, we should love each other because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has become God's child. And so everyone who loves knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed us his love to us. He sent his only son into the world to give us life through him. True love is God's love for us not our love for God. He sent his son as the way to take away our sins. And this is how much God loved us, dear friends. So we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. If we love each other, God's love has reached its goal. It is made perfect in us. This um, little bit of writing from 1 John is, has the most verses in love on it in one little passage in the whole New Testament. It has the most nouns and verbs about love in all of the letters. And so I was looking at this just thinking, man, this is a verse and a story all about love this morning. God is love. And so I just want to look at these three points. God is love is number one. Number two, God shows us love in Jesus. And number three, God's love flows through us into others. So it starts in God. It starts with him. He is love. That's how you can define God. But secondly, God showed us what love is when he sent Jesus. And thirdly, we do something with that love. God's love flows through us into others. So God is love is the first point. It's synonymous. God is love. It's almost like saying um, uh, sellotape is sellotape. 
or if you ask for Coca-Cola, it's Coca-Cola. You don't ask for the, the sticky adhesive plastic strip. You just ask for sellotape. Or you don't ask for the dark fizzy water that's got a flavor like cola. No, you just ask for Coke. These names are synonymous with things that we just ask for. God is love. So it just rolls off the tongue. But God is love is a huge challenge for our culture and for us today uh, because we don't really kind of understand, or our culture doesn't really understand what love is. We have a whole range of definitions of love. So when God declares, when the Bible declares God is love, we have to understand what love means, what that love is talking about. There's love all around us. People get married. There's love between uh, you know, uh, mother and daughter and husband and wife. And even outside the Christian community, there is all these different types of love. And that's just the normal, common love that God has given to people because they're made in the image of God. That's how he made it. That's how he did it. And, but that's not talking about this kind of love. This kind of love is agape love. This is a love that's much deeper than just a feel-good love or a summer love or what you might see on the movies or TV sort of love. This is the kind of love God talks about. It's agape love. It's a divine love. It's not a static love. It's compassionate. It's sacrificial. It's purposeful. It's the kind of love that scoops down, picks peoples up. It's the kind of love that serves. It's the kind of love that sent Jesus to the cross. It's agape love. C.S. Lewis wrote about agape love, and he said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. And if you think about Jesus at Christmas time, he came in complete vulnerability as a little baby amongst a Roman empire. And he, he, he manifested, he lived out what vulnerability was as he came. I mean, Jesus was a baby. Anything could have happened. He could have got malnutrition. You know, he could have been dropped at the altar, at the, not the altar, at the manger. You know, so many things could have happened to a vulnerable little baby. But he came in complete vulnerability. C.S. Lewis says, Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. I think when we look at love and we look at Jesus, we see these traits in his life. God's love for us does not depend on our love for him. Who's glad that God's love for us does not depend on your love? Imagine if it was dependent on our love for God. Like, we would just have good days and bad days of upload and download of God's... I mean, most of my days would be bad days of God's download of love for us. If it was dependent on our love for us, we would be really stuffed from the beginning. Because most of us, if we're honest, we have good days uh, of, you know, being good at liking, I mean, loving, even just liking people, loving people. And then we have several bad days. And then we may have another good day of being loving or kind. But before we did anything, before we offered anything of love, God loved us. And I think, you know, Rod yesterday was talking about, you know, I wasn't really doing anything to seek God and God turned up to me. I moved a little bit and God moved a massive mile to meet me. And that's what I love about God is that he did it all right from the beginning. And I was thinking about this God loves us before we even offered anything. Think about this little child, or, or think about a little baby at all. A little baby, in essence, has nothing to offer us as a little baby, uh, and yet it receives all of our love. Now, if you've had kids, you probably understand what I mean, but just stick with me for a second. A little baby, you know, you have to give it all the time. You have to give it all the energy. You have to give it all the um, cleaning and everything else that you've got to do with little babies. You've got to, you've got to be there for it 24-7 and pour out your love into the, well, you should, by the way, if you're going to have 
Anyway, you've got to pour out your love into this little baby before it's done anything for you. Before it's, you know, if, before it's uh, said its first words, before it's, said it's, it's, before it's told you how grateful it is, or before it's offered you anything back, you've got to pour out all of your love into this little child. God's love, in a little bit of a way, is like that. He offers us anything, uh, everything before we offer him anything back at all. If we can get our heads around the fact that God's love does, comes to us unconditional on what we've done, we start to grasp a little bit of what God is love is all about. So from the message translation, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Love comes from God. It begins in Him. I think the world has an illusion of what love is. It has a perception of what love is. It has a falsity about what love is. But when you drill it down, love originates in God. Love starts in Him. That's the starting point of love. And for us to know that love, the Bible says we must be born again. We must be born of the Spirit to know that love. But I love how simple the logic is. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who does not love does not know God. It's really simple logic. Don't know God, don't know love. Love, you know God, you know love, you know God. It's not confusing. I love how the Bible is really, really practical when it comes to these areas of love. So to be fully alive and to live as people the way God intended, we must be born again. And thinking about birth, things brings us back to Christmas, thinking about the supernatural birth of Jesus. Jesus was born supernaturally. Mary was conceived of the Holy Spirit, and she gave birth to this child that was fully man. He, was, he grew up fully man, but he was also fully God at the same time. It was a supernatural birth, and it ushered in a whole new way of living. It ushered in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of light. And I believe that when, God, when Jesus was born, he showed us a new way. He ushered in a new thing. But he also showed us that now is the time to be born again. You never find the words born again in the Old Testament. You only find them from Jesus' inauguration bringing in the kingdom. That's the starting point of us being born of the Spirit again. You and I, we were all born naturally. Amen? We all, yeah, that's it, amen, that one. So you and I were all born naturally. You have a mother, uh, you have a father. Uh, whether you had a terrific upbringing or not so good upbringing, being born again is the real starting point of life. It's the real starting point of God's purposes. We cannot do it in our own strength. I mean, we can try to do it in our own strength. We can try. We can try religion. We can try being good. We can try earning God's favor or pleasing people or doing things that make us feel like we have value. But actually, when we're born again is where it really begins. And if you think about presents at Christmas time, um, like this morning, the kids opened a bunch of presents, and one of them was these little lights. Um, it's like a little, little dog or shape. Anyway, it's got a light on its head. Um, it's, it was actually a really cool present, but you opened it up and it didn't work. And I thought, oh man, Uncle Joel, what kind of present is this? And it couldn't get it working. And I realized you've got to take out the, you know, undo the screws, take it out. Uh, and all the batteries were there, but there's this little um, plastic slip that's in the way so that the batteries aren't getting used. So you've got to open it up, take that out, then plug it in. And then finally the light comes on and the dog's head lights up. Great little gift. 
but you had to take the slip out to get the batteries actually working. When we aren't born again, it's like there's something stuck in the way, and it's not operating the way it should be. To be fully alive is to be born again. And I know that's a simple truth for Christians. We all sit here probably and go, yep, great, born again, I got you. But we can't, at Christmas time, we can't fundamentally forget that Jesus was the first to be born again, born fully God and fully spirit. He ushered in a new way, and for all of us as believers, that is fundamental to our Christianity. When we lose sight of the fact that we need to be born of the spirit and born again, and we can't do it in our own strength, we can't do this Christian life in our own means, we have to depend on God, we lose sight of the whole message of Christmas, of why God came. He came to bring us new life. He came out to give us a way forward supernaturally. So this Christmas, you know, maybe you have been born again, but maybe there's times when you feel like you've still got that bit of plastic strip in the way, and it's clogging up, and the batteries aren't there, and there's not the sense of operating in God's power and God's love. We need to be born again. We need to live by the Spirit. But the second thing is God is love. And I love how John just writes the words, God is love. There's no thesis. There's no uh, references. There's no backing up his argument. He doesn't try and qualify his statement. He just makes an imperative declaration. God is love. God is love. We have to believe him at his word. We have to believe that God is love and take him. You know, Jesus, when he saw people that believed him at his word, he commended their faith. He would recommend their faith. He would talk about their faith. He would exemplify their faith. He would write down. He would preach about their faith. And he would model. He would say, look at your faith. And that's where I believe when we, have to, when we see God as love, we have to take that at his word. Church, we need to be encouraged that we can trust God when he says he is love. And stop doubting in our hearts. Proverbs tells us that trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on our own understanding. And I reckon the reason it says that is because we're used to leaning on our own understanding. When experience happens in our lives, we begin to lean on our own understanding, our own experiences of love or of hurt or of doubt or of mistrust. And God comes along in his word and declares God is love. And there's parts of our heart that need to let that sink in. We need to receive that. This morning, you know, sometimes when you hear the preaching of the word, it's not what do I need to go out and do tomorrow? What do I need to go out and checklist? I just need to actually receive from God that He is love, and that will be enough. Let that sink in this morning. It's hard though. We live in a world of skepticism and criticism and doubt and unbelief. It surrounds us everywhere, tempting us and telling us not to believe God. In fact, it began in the Garden of Eden when the serpent tried to persuade Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? And over and over again, the Bible teaches us things of God and declares them. And one of them is that God is love. Do you believe God at his word today? Is that your experience of God's love? Or would you define him as a boss or an overlord or a conjurer? I want to make a declaration, church, this morning on Christmas that God is love. So just close your eyes for a minute and let me declare this over your life. If you've been facing a tough year or challenges where the Word of God, where it says God is love, is a hard one to receive, you might want to close your eyes as I read these out and let them sink into your heart and your soul. 
when I'm facing challenging circumstances in my life, God is love. When people offend me or mock me because of my faith, God is love. When our children turn to Jesus from a life of sin, God is love. When things at work are going well, God is love. When things at work are going bad, God is love. When we see the smile on a loved one's face, God is love. When we farewell a family member or a friend moving overseas, God is love. When our world is falling apart, God is love. And when we come to celebrate the birth of Emmanuel, God with us, let us remember God is love. God is love. We receive that this morning, God. Amen. Number two from this short little passage is God showed us what love is in Jesus Christ. Jesus showed us what love looks like. Verse 9 to 10 says, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have an eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Jesus is a -a one-of-a-kind son through whom authentic life is made possible for you and for me, children of God. And he sent Jesus. Paul writes in Galatians 4.4, at just the right time, God sent Jesus. Born to a young girl, born in a stable, a feeding trough, Jesus comes as God's tangible way of saying, I love you. Now, if you've ever got a um, Valentine's Day card or a Christmas card from your loved one or someone in your life that says, I love you. I really believe Jesus is God's card to the whole of humanity saying, I love you. I love the way the message puts it. It says, this is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. And I just want to pick up on that word damage to our relationship with God. Um, this year, I had two car accidents uh, in, um, with my two different cars, and it was a real pain, to be honest. I mean, who, who, who just gets really frustrated when they have anything to do with insurance? It's just a real bummer. But I learned something through this. So my recent work car uh, was scraped in a car incident. I just, yeah, okay, I sort of, it was sort of my fault. But I was driving down the road, and there was a car trying to pull into a a car park, and I drove past, and I thought I could make it. You know when you're trying to judge the gap, and you think, I've got this, and then you drive, and then you don't got this. And it was kind of 50-50, because they were kind of taking up the road, and they should have been out the way. Anyway, I drove past, and a little bit of uh, paint got scraped off the side of the car. Fortunately, it was just easy enough to repair, uh, and it's back up and working. But however, earlier in this year, um, one of my other, my other previous work car was on the side of the road outside our house. And in the middle of the night, probably just before midnight, um, there was a car went screeching down the road and it smashed into the back of the car. And I, I got it taken to the mechanic and they looked at it um, and I thought they were just going to repair it, but they discovered that it had enough damage uh, on the panels and the bodywork of the car that it wasn't worth fixing. And so they were said it's beyond economic repair. And so they ripped the car off. So I had two car accidents this year. One was totally more just cosmetic, some paintwork, and the other one was beyond economic repair. Both were damaged. 
when we come to talk about God is love, we need to understand the damage that sin does to our relationship with God. We can't talk about the love of God unless we understand what that love has achieved for each and every one of us. Sometimes sin causes catastrophic damage in our lives. A lifestyle of drug addiction, alcohol abuse, gambling problems. You know, more often than not, they lead to broken families, financial ruin, or marriages torn apart. The catastrophic damage is done here in us and to us. Sometimes a sin in our lives appears to produce very little damage. Stealing a little bit from your employer here and there, a small lie that no one will really uncover, coveting things you wish you had, lusting after the things with our eyes, or gossiping about people we know. The damage may appear very superficial, fixable perhaps even. In God's eyes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's such a weighty line, but that's the Bible. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches that if anyone says they're without sin, they're deceived. So whether the sin is cosmetic or whether it is written off beyond repair, in God's eyes, all humanity has sinned. You know, and like, I think personally for me, we might classify ourselves and think, well, I'm, I'm in the cosmetic range. <laughs> you know, I'm in the range where it's just a bit of light scraping. You know, God understands it's, it's not a biggie. It just needs a little bit of fixing up. Or you might say to yourself, you know, if you knew my story, uh, you know, I'd say I'm in the beyond economic repair range. And my life was so bad and God did a rescue job and brought me out of a complete write-off. But wherever we've come from, that sin is sin. And God did something about that sin. Adam sinned. Eve sinned. We were cursed at the garden. But through Jesus, through the dawn of redeeming grace, the curse has been lifted. Amen. The curse was lifted. The temple curtain was torn. Right relationship with God is restored. And His Son, as a sacrifice, cleared away the sins and the damage done to our relationship with God. That is what Christmas is all about. That's what it is all about. That's why we sing the songs. That's why we celebrate. You know, and every time this Christmas, I want to encourage you, every time you give a gift or you receive a gift, think for a moment about that damage, whether it feels cosmetic or whether it feels like a write-off, that damage completely restored between you and God, between us and our maker, that relationship put right. And to, to be honest, I can't still get my head around that fact that one single fact that God has put it all right. It's amazing. You know, because on a personal level, I remember things all the time. Like I remember all the mistakes all the time. And to be honest, we're quite good at remembering other people's mistakes. So we might remember the mistakes that our husband or our wife or our kids or our brother or sister did yesterday or last week or last month. In fact, you might remind them about those mistakes all the time. But thank God Jesus is not like Father Christmas, remembering whether you've been good or bad. He has cleared the slate, and he has done away with it all. He has done away with it all. So thank God. You know, if you're here today, and there are things you're remembering, you're holding on to, maybe it's a mistake that a teacher made in a class you were in, and you've regretted it, and you've held it in your heart. Maybe it's a former employee 
or a former employer in your life, and you've remembered, and you keep remembering, and it's kept you bitter all these times. Maybe there's people in your lives and your family, and you're holding on, remembering those mistakes. This Christmas, as Jesus so forgave us, forgive those in your life. Let go this Christmas of any mistakes and things that have been done against you. It doesn't mean you need to trust people straight away, but as God so forgave us, the Bible teaches to forgive others and to not remember and to let those things go. Jesus is the master and he wipes the slate clean. And just a little warning in that, you know, the trap of the enemy is to get you to be better. You know, the trap of the enemy, it's very subtle, but he wants you to be thinking, how can I be a little bit better for God? How can I just deal with that cosmetic damage just a little bit easier? Put a bit of makeup on it, you know, cover it over with a Band-Aid. Work a little bit harder. Be a little bit better. That's not the gospel. That's your works. That's religion. And it will never, ever get you to the love of the Father. Only by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and coming to Him, confessing our sins. I know this message is very, very basic this morning, but I believe the message of God is love is fundamental to our Christian life daily. That God is love. That we cannot achieve our salvation daily. We have to work it out Uh, confessing our sins and coming back to Christ as our Lord and receiving his love on a daily, weekly, yearly basis. So where do you need to confess this morning that Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. Are we living in sin? Is there, you know, an area we need to confess to God? God came as a sacrifice for sin in Jesus Christ. There is no sacrifice more to be made. He did it all at the cross. He did something awfully practical in sending Jesus. And that wasn't just splitting the timeline from BC to AD, although that's really helpful now that we think about it. He did a lot more than that. He came to usher in the kingdom of God to set captives free, to break the bondage of sin and defeat sin on the cross. He has repaired the damage. The last thing this morning I just want to share from these little verses is God is seen by our love for one another. God is seen. Dear friends, the NIV part reads, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So the Bible says no one has ever seen God. So has anyone ever seen God? No, the Bible says no one has seen him. And this is a huge problem. This is a big problem. The reason is, if you ask any child or teenager, they'll challenge you, well, if, if God is real, why doesn't he just show up in my room or my school and just prove how cool he is or how good his glory is? And then everyone will believe. The challenge is, we live in a world that's so physical and tangible and seen. So when the Bible says that no one has ever seen God, that presents a big problem for us because we're so used to seeing things. But I think when we look at this verse, we have to just go back a little bit and understand where this is coming from. So the Israelites were to worship an unseen God. They were called to worship Jehovah, who was a God that was not seen in physical form. The outward radiance of God was known. His manifestations, his thunderstorms, there was lightning, his glory filled the temple. There was an outward display of his glory, but nothing internal of God was ever seen. But on the other side of the coin, all the nations around Israel had physical representations of gods. They had physical gods everywhere. They had statues. They had idols. They had 
gods that had ears and noses and toes and feet and hands and big heads and all sorts of things. In fact, the statue of Zeus in Ephesus was 60 feet tall. These were huge representations of gods. There was a massive focus on the physical representation of God in the, in the nations around Israel. You could look at them. You could go and meet them. You could touch them. You could be near them. The surrounding nations mocked Israel for their physicallessness God, for the God that was not seen. They used to give them a hard time. They would curse them. They would mock them. They would hurl abuse at them. They would say, where is your God? Where is he? Look at our big God. Where is your God? They considered it absurd and useless. I mean, what help is a God that you can't actually touch and feel in battle? What use was a God when it came to harvest time when you were doing your crops if he didn't, wasn't represented by some big bull or cow or something like that? What good was a God that you could not see? See, Israel knew that these gods of surrounding nations were not gods at all, but it was a severe testing point for them. They were tested in this area of not having any gods that physically could be seen. Remember Aaron, when Moses disappeared up the mountain, the first thing Aaron did was get all their gold and make an idol calf, a physical representation of something, and got the people to worship that. It was a huge testing point for them. But we live in a physical world just as they do. And I think the challenge is just as real for us today not to worship the things that are seen, not to worship the things that we can look at and touch and feel and see. You can't call down God and see the earthly Jesus, but God shows us how God is seen in this verse. No one has ever seen God, writes John, but if we love one another, God dwells. God abides. The King James Version said, he dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. So in this we see that God is not seen in a physical form, but yet God is seen when people love one another. When we choose to love one another, that is how God is seen in the world around you and me. The Christian church, the believers today are the representation. They are the physical seeing point of God in our world. That's how God made it. We're not to look at images, to worship, phones, devices, images, man-made things. But if God is to be seen, it is when we love one another. It is if we love one another. So when Christians love one another, that's the witness of God in the earth today. 1 Corinthians, 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, If I have faith that moves a mountain but do not have love, I am nothing. If we have big, big churches and a lot of activity but we do not have love, we may be busy, but God is not seen. If we do not have love, God is not witnessed in Parnell. If we do not have love amongst us, God is not dwelleth and God is not seen. But if we have love and we love one another, God is seen. God is witnessed in the earth. God is seen in Auckland. God is seen amongst your family, amongst your small group, amongst this youth, amongst our church. God is witnessed. So there's a massive challenge in that verse because it comes down to if we love one another. If we love. It's conditional on our part. And notice how this verse, whole verse starts. God is love. It starts in him. God shows us love in Jesus. Jesus comes and shows us the way and manifests his love to us through his love and coming at Christmas time and dying on the cross. And then it comes to us. But if we love one another, God has done the majority of the work and we are called into the story by loving 
one another. So the if rests on us. But remember, it's not in our own strength. It's not in our own strength. If we're born again by the Spirit of God and we know God, we can do it with His strength. The church is the seeing point of God's love in the world. You know, at times we drop the ball. We get it wrong and we miss the love of God and we don't extend the love of God the way we should have. But thank God that He has overcome our troubles. He's overcome the world. He's still glorified. When you look at the history of the church and all the ups and downs and mistakes, somehow the grace and goodness of God has still spread throughout the entire globe over centuries. And it's amazing to think that God's love is still known in every continent and every heart today. Despite the failings of humankind, God is still love. It's not always easy to love other people. They're different than us. We have different likes. We have different interests. But remember that God chose to love you and me, despite all those things, despite all the damage, even when we were enemies, he came to love us. And so we carry this love into the world today. The church today carries on what Jesus initiated when he ushered in the kingdom of light. And you and I, we are called to love one another. Just one little story before we finish this morning. You know, over 200 years ago, the first Christmas Day message was preached uh, from the pages of Scripture when Samuel Marsden arrived um, here in New Zealand. He spoke a Christmas Day message, glad tidings of great joy to those that were present, including many Māori in the Bay of Islands. And it was only a few decades later, uh, in 1937, the Māori translation of the New Testament was published. And I didn't realize this, but as I was looking into it, it was the first indigenous language translation of the Bible published in the Southern Hemisphere in 1837. Gosh, if you ever doubted God's love to uh, consider that claim. And it goes on. Demand for the Māori New Testament grew grew and grew and grew. 33,000 Māori soon started attending regular Christian services and Bible studies. Literacy and understanding of the Bible increased, and uh, it increased the mana and the social and economic benefits of all that followed. This led to decreased practices of slavery amongst the people. It decreased the intertribal violence or utu and revenge, and it increased peace and respect for all people in Maori society, including many women. I don't know about you, but that sounds like this passage put into practice of God as love. Jesus came as love, and then we are to show love to others. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's love abides. God's love dwells. God's love lives and takes up residence among us. And because of that, God is glorified. His love is perfected. Today, the church, you know, you and I, we need to take seriously this if we love one another, but it's not in our own strength. Amen. Amen. So let's just stand this morning, church. And um, Sonny, if you just want to come come up and we'll just play. And I just want to close by just leading us in a simple prayer around Christmas time. Uh, and just coming to Christ at this Christmas. And on those three areas, <clears throat> you know, I wonder whether there's an area that really has spoken to you this morning. God is love. And because of that, we're to be born again, to believe God at His Word, to stop doubting and believe His Word. Number two, God sent Jesus to show us what God looked like, to show us what love looked like. 
And in this, we confess our sins. He forgives us. We don't have to keep trying to work out our way to God. We can hand it to Him. We can come to Him, and we're forgiven. And finally, God is seen when we begin to love one another. How is our love for one another going? This Christmas time and coming into another year ahead, let's consider how we can love one another. Just as Jesus came as a babe in the manger and His presence was felt throughout all history, so too God dwells among us. Let's just pray. Lord.